lot of these people are, are following this coaching model that I call bootstrap your way to bankruptcy. Hmm. And they're buying things they don't need without validating that, that there is actually an audience and a need for their product. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Inventive Journey. Um, as you guys know, uh, we uh, go through on each episode and we meet uh, different guests and we go through kind of their, everybody has their own journey and of uh, to invention and how they uh, get their startups and small businesses going and the path they take. So today uh, we have Juliet on the on the podcast and she's going to tell a little bit, give you a quick background and I won't try and ruin too much of her story. She, uh, she's done everything from uh, traditional book publishing to car sales to working with Mattel as well as uh, for uh, Hot Wheels and Barbies and so all, all sorts of interesting paths that takes her uh, up till today, and I'll let her share a little bit more about her, but uh, certainly a, a, a fun journey and a fun path to listen to. So with that, I'll turn it over and you can t- uh, tell everybody a little bit about the uh, the journey and the path you've taken and what you do. Well, thank you, Devin, for having me on. And, and I love you said car sales. I've never been a car salesman, but I'll explain that in a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, you know, my journey has been one of those where when you're in it, you're like, what does this all mean? And then one day you wake up and you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. So um, when I graduated from college, I was working in traditional publishing at Chrysler and Sloan HP Books. And I actually have a degree in horticulture. So HP Books was a very good fit. They did uh, agricultural books, gardening books, things like that. And then um, from there, I went on to Shy Day Advertising. That's where the car sales comes in, is I, I worked on a big car account, a billion-dollar account, Nissan. And um, it wasn't car sales as much as it was the ad spend and uh, production and, and doing this on a regional level, because believe it or not, these people know their avatars, they know their product, they know what sells best in what region of the country, and it's all different. Um, if you take something like California, you know, they're not going to sell as many SUV and snow vehicles as they do in Salt Lake. Hmm. Um, they're going to sell a lot more convertibles. So uh, different demographics as well. They have a large Hispanic community in that area, Florida, Texas, which we don't traditionally have up where we're at either. So from, from Shia Day, I really learned a lot about building avatars, what it takes to get your product to market in front of the right people. And from there, I went to Mattel Toys and worked so on I'll Barbie and Hot Wheels. Quick. So for those and, who don't know, what is, what is building an avatar or what is an avatar? So an avatar is your ideal client. So the demographic, the geographic, uh, the psychographics of what makes up your ideal buyer you know, what is, let's take an SUV in Salt Lake. You know, usually those people that uh, are doing it are, you know, what, 35 to 65. I'm just guessing here right now, but, um, you know, they're, they're athletic or, you know, they, they're, in, they're driving in the snow a lot, so they need a four-wheel drive. Um, and then what do those people do on weekends? What do they do in the evenings? Where do they hang out? So, you know, they pretty much know everything about the ideal client and, and where mm. they're at and what they do. So that's what an avatar is. Um, Mattel Toys, when I worked there on Barbie and Hot Wheels, of course, 
a different sort of avatar because you're selling to children, but those children don't actually have purchase power. They turn around and, and whine and scream and say, oh, I need, I need that Barbie <laughs> to their parents. Um, and we all know that it's not really a need, it's a want, but those parents buy them anyway. So a little bit different track. Sometimes it becomes a need if your, parent, your kids bug you long enough that it's, it's, it, it turns from a want to a need. Right, right. I need you to just be quiet about this thing. <laughs> it does, especially with little kids, because they just get obsessive about it. Yeah. Um, from Mattel, I actually, um, I was traveling a lot, and I decided that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And so I, I quit there. I was at home about two weeks, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the hardest job I've ever had. And I got a real estate broker's license and sold real estate in the Santa Clarita Valley. Uh, I, I rose very quickly uh, with my team to be one of the top teams at a, an office of 400 people, mainly because I knew how to market. And in 2008, this is sort of the start of where I'm at today. Uh, I was going through a horrible, horrible divorce, and um, I had a lot of time on my hands. The kids were going back and forth, so you know, suddenly I didn't have kids half the time. So I wrote my first mystery novel, and um, I'm pretty well known in that area because um, I I went the cathartic route and I killed my ex-husband in my first book, Players, and being in a smaller just in the book. What? Not in real life, just in the book. Just in the book, um, which, you know, kept me out of uh, felony orange. So it was a good thing. I got to do it and not get caught and not go to jail. And, uh, but everybody knew from the description that it was my ex-husband. So um, pretty popular novel. But what I found out from that experience was that uh, I self-published for the first time. And I thought coming from traditional advertising that I would really understand what was going on with it. And I really found a model that didn't serve authors at all. It was, it was all about profit for the publisher. And I think the best way I can describe it is think about Devin, if, if I, if I was going to design a business card for you mm -hmm. and I charged you $75 for the design. And then I turned around when you bought the box of cards and I said, Hey, by the way, I know you paid me to design this, but now I want 50% of everything you make from those cards. You would probably hand the box back and say, no, thank you. But that's exactly what the self-publishing world was doing. And it was a crazy, crazy model. They weren't teaching authors how to really get out there. They weren't selling the things to authors that really propelled them into what the reasons that they wrote those books, that notoriety. So by my second book, I learned how to self-publish um, a print on demand. And I was also building, testing ways to build platforms at that point too. And by my third book, I had sold over 25,000 copies of some really bad mystery novels. So <laughs> the process worked. <laughs> All right. With it. So um, from there, I started having um, a lot of, uh, nonfiction authors who were also coaches and speakers bringing me their books because I had proven that I could sell books. Mm. And uh, what we kept hearing over and over from then was that they had gone to a business growth seminar of some sort. And they were, they were relating to that guru in the room that their products and services weren't selling. 
And so, of course, the answer was, you know, pay me $10,000, I'll help you write a book, we'll get it published, and then everybody will know you. So when they brought me the book, I, I listened to that and I said, yeah, that's, that's not why your stuff's not selling. And, you know, I'm sorry you had to write that book and go through that and spend all that money, but really we need to get down to why your stuff isn't selling. Do you have a market? Is this even a product? Mm. And um, that's where we develop the assessment marketing process around this that, that authors, coaches, and speakers are using to not only do market research with their products, but gather uh, leads and, and qualified leads of their own. Okay. No, that, that is, that is a very interested and sort of tell. Almost you could almost write a book about that yourself. So maybe, right. maybe that'll be your next book. So do, you, so do you still write any or have you switched now overall into uh, helping others to find their markets and define, define who they are and do lead generation and all that? Do you, where do you split your time or do you split your time? So we split our time between about half between publishing books and the other half is working with entrepreneurs on the assessments. And by the way, I, I do have a book. I'm holding the release through this crisis that's going on right now, but it's called Pitch Slapped and it is pretty much about all that. <laughs> all right. Well, then it'll be, it'll be a follow on to this conversation. Yes, it will be. Um, yeah, we actually are working quite a bit with entrepreneurs who don't have books these days because they'd like to sell more of their coaching programs. And you know, being an IP attorney that, um, you know, when someone has an idea, before they can get investors, they have to have all this validated. Hmm. And, you know, you can't get that funding without validation. When you're a coach, a lot of these people are are following this coaching model that I call bootstrap your way to bankruptcy Mm. and they're buying things they don't need without validating that that there is actually an audience and a need for them and that is in in a sense for newer entrepreneurs or coaches that's what this product that we have does okay no that's certainly very insightful so let me jump back because it'll kind and it'll kind of dovetail with what you're saying so when you took your first book or the you know you Go, go through, you go through the, the catharticism of uh, killing your ex-husband, get it all out. Then you, so now I'm going to go and launch that, you know, kind of where you're now helping others with, but what was the process or, you know, cause I always, I, I have a, a friend that, uh, that did uh, books that were more for, it's, I think it's monster hunters and he does, you know, monster hunter international and he does a lot of book tours and he, from what I hear, and you know, don't dive into it as much. But he does a lot of book tours, and he does a lot of conferences and everything else. So, you know, what is your what was your path to, if you were to say now somebody that was starting to write their book today, or, you know, somebody that was just getting launched and they hadn't hadn't gone through any of that? What was your path that you know, reaching back in time to how you wrote your first first book to getting it published, to figuring all that out? So I didn't really have a path back then with my first one. It, it was it was interesting. I didn't sell many of my first book until later on. Mm. So it was all experimental. I did a lot on social media. I did a lot of what I tell people not to do today, <laughs> which you've probably seen yourself on social media. People are buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. And I can immediately tell when you're doing that, that you haven't built your audience in advance. 
So uh, fiction is a little bit more difficult to get out there, but if you're a nonfiction writer, building that audience first and finding out exactly what they want and need from you is the key ingredient to a bestseller because now you have an audience that's following you and you've just written the book that they mm. want to read. So that, that would be my suggestion to, to doing that. So social media, being, getting out speaking, having those programs selling and, and using that book as a low barrier entry mm. level for people to find out more about you. Okay. No, that, that is certainly insightful and helpful. So now I'm going to get jump back to what, to your failures because I always one of the key notes or key themes in the podcast is you always get to hear everybody's highlight reels, right? You get to hear all the successes and people tend to jump over, gloss over their failures or what they didn't do right or what they didn't figure out just because, it, you know, you don't want to re, go have to revisit that. But for this podcast, we'll revisit it a little bit. So when you're doing all of what you said the wrong things are, First of all, maybe for everybody, what are what were the wrong things? You jumped into it a little bit, but then how did you get to figure out how that those were the wrong things or you should stop doing it? It was just ran out of money. And so you said, well, I, I don't have any more money to do Facebook's, you know, advertising and that. Or was it, oh, this isn't working? Or how did you kind of figure out what was the wrong things and then how to correct that? So that is such a great question. Uh, I mentioned that coaching industry, that bootstrap to bankruptcy model they have. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to a lot of these uh, seminars that, that everybody else was going to, and I, I was watching, and I bought a few of those programs that didn't really give results. Mm. And the more, the more I looked at it, and like you said, with Facebook advertising and things like that, nobody was going to buy a, a $2,500, a $10,000, a $15,000, $20,000 program without having a personal relationship with you, without actually knowing. And I think that was the point where I said, you know what, these guys are wrong. A click is not a relationship. Hmm. And so you have to have a platform where people are, you're actually talking to other people and building rapport and trust. And that's where I kind of threw that model that they were doing out the window and said, let's put this together in the right way and actually build relationships with people okay so now i'm going to press you a little bit more so when you when you say when you figure that out was it was there a point that you figure that out was it just kind of after you tried it enough times and you didn't get the results because a lot of times when you get to you know inventors and, and and startups and that you don't you never quite know if it's i just need to stick with this a little bit longer and event it, you know takes so long enough or i just need to stick with it to do it right versus i pull the ripcord and try something new and so what is that kind of that inflection point of, okay, I've decided this isn't going to work. I'm going to give up or abandon it or, you know, those type of things versus, oh, I, sh I just need to work at it a bit harder or do it a bit longer. So how did you make that decision? That decision came from spending money on Facebook ads, uh, driving traffic to webinars, and in the interim, going to events and, and really saying, okay, I'm spending all this money over here and this doesn't appear to be working. And I've given it, I always give something a year. I gave it a year. I dropped a lot of money on it. It wasn't working. And then I noticed that I was going to events mm -hmm. and I was part of masterminds and things like that, where I was actually spending time getting to know people and talk to them. And that was working. So, and, and it wasn't costing me nearly as much. 
so that that was the point where I said, okay, you know what? I'm not getting the ROI from what I've been trying over here. I, I seem to be much better in person. So I'm going to spend my time and money over over in this section. But it, it was eye-opening. I spent a lot on digital marketing and uh, no results. And I, I don't think I've really talked to many people who have gotten the kind of results they're looking for with an intellectual product. If you have a physical product, it works hmm. because people are really good at seeing. But when you're selling something like coaching, it, it's a difficult sell. Hmm. Well, that's, yeah. And that, even, even physical products, I've talked with other inventors and, you know, the, a little bit of the myth that's always out there is, oh, you can come up with a great idea and you just can throw it up on Facebook and everybody <laughs> will, everybody will buy it and they'll clamor to it. And it's as simple as that. And you just put up a few Facebook ads and your business is launched and you're a millionaire and yet I've, I've yet to see with maybe very rare exception that that model ever works for everybody. It's always, you have to figure out your specific model, what actually resonates with your clients and with your customers. And it's the other one is it's not always the same thing. Even as you mentioned, you know, fiction books versus nonfiction books or biographies or all of those. And it seems like some of them, like, you know, the, the person that I know, fiction does very well when he does a whole bunch of conventions because you have, you know, people like going to maybe not with coronavirus, but normally they like to go with comic cons and they like to actually meet the author and kind of get inside their head as to how they wrote it. And yet on other ones for coaching and other things that can be a completely different market. So I completely understand and resonate with the kind of figuring out what is the ROI. And sometimes that comes from a little bit of trial and error. And other times it comes from, you, you know, work or trying multiple things and sometimes the hardest thing is not that something even doesn't work it doesn't work as well as some of the others and so you always hate to pull the ripcord on something that kind of works but you have you know because it kind of works you'll say well I'll keep it going when really you should dump your resources and time and effort to what gives you the best ROI exactly and and really not getting caught in shiny object syndrome because there's you know, there are people out there who will hype that they're getting great results with things. And I'm going to give you a great example. Um, I, I knew someone about three years ago who said, oh my gosh, I've got hundreds of people on my webinars. Mm. And she was one of my competitors. And I showed up for a webinar and she was using Webinar Jam and she forgot to, keep, to turn off the feature that showed how many people were on the webinar. And she kept saying, you know, welcome, you know, I've got like 400 people on here today. And you could see she had 32. <laughs> that is that is a good example but some, hey sometimes you just have to fake it till you make it but other times <laughs> you gotta quit faking it because you're not making it so that is a, that is a, that is a good example well kind of wrapping towards it's been a great conversation and what we try and keep things about 20 to 30 minutes we're kind of coming up on that there are always kind of two questions I always like to hit hit on with everybody on the podcast um, again kind of hitting with that highlight reel of we don't always always great to hear the highlight rails. Great to see the success. We want everybody to have success. But, you know, being an entrepreneur can be lonely. Sometimes, you know, first of all, even, you know, I, I'll go home and I'm married with kids and, you know, I have four kids and my wife and she's always great to listen to. And, you know, here's all of my frustrations or my successes throughout the day, but she never really gets it or the frustration or the highs and the lows. And she's just much more of very supportive and helpful but, you know, one thing that we try and dive into a bit is, you know, what are the, the highs and the lows so that those that are on their inventive journey that are either facing the highs, facing lows, or just getting into it, you know, what their experiences are. So we always, with one of the questions we do is what was the worst decision you made along your path? And it could be everything from starting out to traditional publishing, time at Mattel or anything in between. But what was the worst decision you made 
along your path and then give a little bit of why. Um, I think that it was getting caught up in that bootstrap to bankruptcy model and thinking that that was something that would work. Uh, when you're in the coaching industry, you have to understand from day one that this is a business and, and create a sustainable business. And I think that model, when, when I was out, I was kind of working that the first year and finding out that it, it wasn't really a path to a successful business. Hmm. Okay. And then second question I always ask, and that's, that's always great to hear, um, you know, what, what almost pitfalls to avoid and, and what, uh, what was, doesn't work. But then I always flip the question and say, okay, now, knowing what you've done, going through your journey up until this point, what would you give someone that was just starting out on the, the kind of the coaching or the publishing type route and how to do that? What would be the one key of advice you'd give for that kind of that startup or that individual? Go out and cultivate your audience first. Put your ideas out there and test them. Don't start creating something to sell until you have an audience that's telling you that they will purchase it. You can waste a lot of time and money doing it the other way around, creating a product and then going and find your, finding your audience. Okay. And I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into that because I always find that interesting. And I always work with inventors that are on both sides. Sometimes I'll get inventors, you know, doing intellectual property and patent trademarks. So they'll come in their product is ready to launch and they don't even have a marketing plan or how to go out and sell it or anything else. And now they're trying to figure that out and you'll get somebody on the opposite end that does the, I've got, I've got a great idea and all I need to do is go and sell it. And you know, they haven't even figured out how to implement that idea, but they have a great idea and both of them are, you know, kind of different ends of the spectrum. So how do you know, how far do you need to push it? And you know, within your experience in your industry, how far do you push it or how much, how well defined you have to have it before you start to go out and sell it or start to see what interest level people have? How far do you have to have it defined out? Well, with a, with a coaching program, I usually will put an outline down and write a sales page and start talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I think your biggest, your biggest cue there, and, and I did have this uh, back in 2017, is when you start talking about it one-on-one with people and somebody says, hey, how much is that? Can I buy it? And if they're willing to pull out a credit card and talk to you about pricing and they're willing, you see it over and over and over, which I did have that happen with a, one of our current programs, I knew I was onto something. And I took the credit cards and I stayed, it, it was stressful, but I, I didn't have it created. I just had an outline and I stayed a week ahead of the people who bought it all the time. But guess it turned out to be our most successful program. So I think the point of that was I had enough there. I had my marketing created. I knew what I wanted to sell. And if I wasn't getting a yes, I was getting feedback on, you know, that sounds really great, but what if it had this? Hmm. So then I had some points to think about as well without having to actually put out a bunch of money to create or, you know, time to create. And um, so that, that's probably for me that the point where I know that something's ready is when people will say, yeah, you know what? I want that. How much is it? And you know, how, how do I purchase that? Do you have a payment plan? Do you have, you're on to something then. Yeah. And I, and I agree on that. And I, I think that's always, there's a much, there's a big difference between when you go ask people what they think of your idea and they're always nice and they give you feedback and they, you know, they, 
they tell you how great it is and I'll go for it and, you know, reach for the stars. But then when you ask them, you know, if there's a difference between that versus them wanting to pay for it, or if you ask them now, or, do you want to buy it or will you buy it? And the difference in feedback you get of, well, no, or, you know, it's a great idea, but it's not for me or those type of things always is a much better indicator of whether people actually want it as if they'll pull out their credit card for it or if they're just being nice and giving you, you know, don't want to hurt your feelings. Well, exactly. And it's who you ask. Like, don't go ask your mom. Your mom probably thinks everything, she probably has every trophy you ever got as a child, you know, still in her living room. So don't ask your mom, don't ask your family. Families are usually a downer. There's about yeah. half of them will say, that's great. And the other half will be like, why don't you get a real job? <laughs> um, but ask, ask people who really and truly would be your ideal client when you're doing that. No, I think that that's great advice. I think testing it out, getting it out there. I always think you're better to get it out too early than too late in the sense that you'll get the feedback, you can iterate on it, but it, you know, you do have to have it far enough that you can explain it. But once you've got it to at least an outline or explaining it level, you can always go out and build it. But if, you, if you're building something nobody's going to want, then you're going to waste a lot of time and effort. And or you can find, you, you wait to find out that I could have made these easy tweaks or these adjustments and it would have made all the difference. So I think that's great advice. Well, with that, we'll kind of wrap things up. But I want to give you a chance to kind of with the audience, um, you know, as I mentioned in previous podcasts, our audience is pretty diverse. We have everything from venture capitalists, angel investors, startups, small businesses, to people that are haven't started yet. They're at a big job or a, more of a, a commercial job and are wanting to get into this. But with that, why don't you uh, give you a bit of time, let them know how to reach out to you, how to, to get involved or to, to get, uh, get involved with your business and, uh, and uh, support you. Uh, well, I'd love to have you take one of our assessments. You can go over to www.leadlogicquiz.com and, and grab one over there and see how your lead generation skills are. Also, you can reach out to me at Juliet at superbrandpublishing.com, either for publishing or the assessments. Hmm. And um, I'd love to hear from you guys. Oh, also, wait a minute. I do have a podcast. I forgot. <laughs> Devin was just interviewed for it yesterday. Um, you can also reach out and listen to us over at Promote Profit Publish. Uh, we have a podcast over on iTunes, YouTube, Apple TV, Roku. You can find us in a multitude of places. Awesome. Well, great. Well, I will certainly uh, put all of that in the show notes and uh, or encourage everybody that is thinking about publishing and seminars and anything else in that realm to, to hit you up, reach out to you and uh, take your uh, take your assessments or, uh, pub or get some help with publishing the book. So thank you for coming on to that. It's been great to hear um, your inventive journey and your path. And so with that, we'll let you go and wish you the best of your uh, ongoing and continued journey. Great. Thank you for having me, Devin. Thank you.